You're listening to Art Happens Here, the podcast that explores the often curious and occasionally amazing art installations on, in, and around the campuses of Lansing Community College. I'm your host, Bruce Mackley. Well, today on Art Happens Here, um, I have the distinct honor and privilege of interviewing uh, an individual who has contributed heavily to the the beautification of Lansing Community College from an artistic standpoint. Uh, This man has been doing his work for quite a while. Um, He is a craftsman. He is an artist, an artisan, um, probably an intellectual too, and we're going to find that out for sure. Um, Jim Cunningham, welcome to the show. Why, thank you, Bruce. No, this is is a treat for me. Um, And it surprises me a little bit that our paths haven't crossed before now because we were doing concurrent work here on campus, yours on a much larger scale. Um, and they'd unveil these things and, you know, it was just awe-inspiring, some of the work that you've done here. Um, and we're probably going to have a couple conversations. Um, the first conversation I'd like to have with you is, first of all, I'm going to touch on what you're about, where you're from, your training, your interests, and then on um, a, a specific uh, sculpture that is become uh, synonymous with Lansing Community College from a visual, from an iconic standpoint. So, um, first of all, where are you from, Jim? Well, I grew up in Pennsylvania. Yeah. And uh, went to school in at Purdue and in California. And uh, after some unusual sojourns internationally, came here. And uh, my formal training actually is as a veterinarian and as a physiologist. No kidding. And I taught veterinary and medical students at MSU for 30 some years with occasional gigs at uh, Tuskegee University and three African universities. Well, there's the intellect thing that I was touching on. I knew it. I knew it. But uh, I've also had a passion for creating sculptures as a hobby. That began when, really began when I was a Peace Corps volunteer in uh, Nigeria, and I had a chance to apprentice with a local woodcarver, really? Lamadi Fakai, who was nice enough to let me spend Saturday afternoons for a long time woodcarving with him, and that triggered uh, really a p- passion for creating three-dimensional art, okay. which I've done since well for fifty years or so. For sure, yeah. And then as a family, we lived in Zimbabwe for a while, and so we apprenticed with some of the stone carvers there. They had a, quite a tradition of contemporary stone carving back when they had some tourists. Mm-hmm. Life has changed a lot in southern Africa. but um, And I think the, th- the, the thing that that triggered for me was an interest in large public sculptures. They did some big pieces in stone. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting to create something that would really have a public impact and have a site-specific function uh, wherever they were placed. So that sort of second apprenticeship uh, got me started with an interest in public art, bigger Mm -hmm. pieces. Mm -hmm. But as I got back to the States, I couldn't get that stone. And uh, besides moving big stones around and weigh uh-huh. a couple of tons in uh-huh. an urban setting in my uh-huh. studio wasn't going to work very well. So 
I went from wood carving to stone carving to creating sculptures in metal. Mm -hmm. And if you think for a minute, that's a different process. If you're doing something in wood, if you're carving in wood, if you're carving in stone, like Michelangelo said, you chip away what isn't sculpture. Mm -hmm. So you subtract what you don't want. In creating metal sculptures, it's just the opposite. It's an additional thing. You build up to the final project, product by adding pieces of metal, mm -hmm. which you have to cut, which you have to shape, which you have to bend, which you have to change colors if you want to, and you got to hook them all together. Right. And so I had to learn to weld. So I hung out at the local welding shop at Banish Welding up on Lake Lansing Road. I know where it is. 20 years or so, just hung out with a guy named Fred and several of their other sculptors mm -hmm. and uh, asked a lot of questions and made quite a few big sculptures up there, or the, the bigger ones that were too big for my studio. Interesting. Uh, I always made up at Banish Welding. Mm -hmm. And I also had to figure out how to cut metal. Mm -hmm. And you can do that by hand, but if you have a laser or a plasma cutter or a computer-driven yeah. equipment like that. It works a lot better. And uh, Alro Steel, another business in town, has that. So for the last 25 or 30 years, I've been working uh, with welding knowledge that I got from the local welders, mm -hmm. several of whom were LCC graduates. Glad to hear that. And um, cut most of the metal that I, I use with uh, first plasma cutters and now lasers. And I had to figure out how to use different kinds of metal. I started out in mild steel, but in the, my first big public sculpture is nearby here in an inner city park down Washington Avenue. But, you know, mild steel like your car is made from rusts. Sure, sure. So I had to figure out how to weld stainless steel and bronze mm -hmm. with some accents of kiln-formed glass working with another artist and yeah, so forth. So so it's um, it, this is not my formal training. This is my f rather extensive hobby. That's what I was driving at. And I have to ask very briefly, when you went back to those early pieces, it, like at Benash, were you... Were you um, commissioned to do those or did you come up with them and then they were sold or did you provide sketches first how was your process with getting something from your mind into an installation a real installation or were they all over the place well it's all over the place but uh, first of all i don't charge for my time i'm a volunteer i try to get the costs back mm -hmm. so each one of them is sort of an eccentric arrangement where I run into somebody or somebody wants a sculpture and it sort of evolves yeah. from there. The first one that's down in a, there's an inner city area named Fabulous Acres that's nearby here that's on, uh, it's bordered by Washington, Mount Hope, Cedar, and Baker Street. And that was an inner city area, high crime area, had a student that lived down there. She said, well, they'd been given a new park, uh, given a, the old parking lot to the Diamond Rio truck factory, and they were going to make a kid's park out of it. 
And as a joke, I said, well, my wife says there's no more room in my backyard for my sculptures, so you ought to have one of my sculptures in your park. I didn't think she'd really pay much attention, but the next uh, thing I know, okay, I was asked to create a sculpture for their park. And uh, that's cool. It's a long and interesting story involving the community police officers and yeah. so forth, but uh, yeah. it, it started that way, you know. And that's just so cool that it just removing the, the you know, the, the commerce part is fine and good and, and necessary, of course, but art for the sake of art. There's something fundamentally yeah. amazing about that, you know, and stepping back and seeing people appreciate what you created. I mean, I don't think there's anything like it, you know. Um, so you are, you're still going with, with, with the st stainless steel. Are there any um, technical things that you wouldn't guess, that somebody would not guess with regard to working with stainless? And I also know that stainless steel isn't exactly stainless either. No. Right. So. No. Well, the, the, the basic principles of welding work with almost all metals. But each different metal material has some subtle differences in the shield gases that you use, in the feed wire that you, of course, has to have the same kind of metal. Um, I happen to use, uh, after a lot of advice from the Miller Welding Company, mm -hmm. I have a pulse MIG welder that works pretty well for stainless steel. It reduces the spatter. You have to use uh, argon with some CO2 to it. There's, there's some subtle differences mm -hmm. when you switch from stainless steel to bronze. Bronze is a wonderful metal to work with. It's exactly. basically a soft alloy of copper, and so it's pretty easy to work with. Mm -hmm. Um, so each one is a little different, but basically the basic principles of welding apply to, to them all. And I imagine, if, correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm wrong a lot when it comes to the areas outside of my expertise, but the design would probably depend on the material. You could probably expect more performance and not just uh, resistance corrosion, but the actual design, how thin you can go, how high you can go with regard to certain metals versus other metals. Is that would that be correct? Well, sure. I mean, I started out with mild steel, like our car was made of, and they rust. So I didn't want to do that. I was leaving things in the public that I wanted to think of as outlasting me. Absolutely. So I switched to stainless steel, and most artists use the alloy three sixteen L. Has a little more chromium, a little more molybdenum, a bunch of other trace metals that reduce its corrosion. Uh, in acid rains and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, and anything you can get into Alro's CAD system, you can cut with stainless steel. So I've got sculptures that have got Arabic and Hebrew and English in the same piece, and you can read them just like it was off the printed page. I mean, the, yeah. the lasers can really do a wonderful job of cutting these these materials. Stainless is a lot harder than most metals, so cutting it is a little trickier, bending it is hard, polishing it is hard. It's a, it's a harder metal to work with, but it's a much more satisfying result. I think yeah. I remember the DeLorean and, and the issue with bending those <laughs> doors and the bodywork surrounding the, the DMC DeLorean. I know you, you have to remember because I do. 
you know, oh, those DeLoreans didn't have any arcs to them. They were all creased. They were, yes. And it, uh, there's a reason for that. Yeah, you don't stamp stainless steel too much, do you? No. I mean, well, I, I've got a big hydraulic system to bend stainless steel that Fred and I made up at Banish Welding mm-hmm. out of hydraulic stuff. And, and it it's in my garage, and so I have to have a small car so I can still get the car into the garage. Oh, this is amazing. But it works pretty well. That's very, very, that's just so <laughs> captivating. I I am familiar with the laser cutting at Alro. We, our words kiosk went there, and it's still, I walk by it, and I look at the, the cleanliness of the cuts by laser through, I think it's half inch, it's at least quarter inch thick aluminum plate. It's just, it's just remarkable. Um, so, yeah. Uh, are there any pieces that you've done that, fell outside of your area of comfort or expertise size-wise or um, with regard to complexity of design, anything like that that you actually hit a wall or you were, you were, um, because I'll do this, I'll, I'll, I'll design something I can't execute and yeah, it'll sit there until I kind of figure it out. Anything like that that you could share? <laughs> well, this might be a good a good time to talk about education and community. Good. In and some I, detail because there's a story, several stories, as you might expect. Sure. And uh, size has to do, had to do with Great. part of the tensions. Let me preface this uh, to our listeners. Um, this, this installation was a very big deal when it went in. Um, President Knight, uh, Dr. Brent Knight, wanted something that denoted our south border of our downtown campus, something visually um, captivating that was clearly, you knew exactly where you were um, with, with regard to Lansing Community College and, and Lansing's downtown campus. And, and what, what was imagined was known at the time, it was known as the Red Ribbon. Um, and if you can for those that haven't seen it, um, try to describe this beautiful artwork. It looks, it's, it's on a large pedestal, a large circular, I take it, marble fascia pedestal. And it looks like a frozen satin ribbon that's steel that is billowing in a spiral upward. And this thing is probably 20 feet tall, maybe more. The ribbon itself, uh, the parts of the ribbon, I think, are around 20 inches wide, maybe, you know, ish. Yeah. And it, it, it looks like it's frozen in, like it's billowing in the wind. And it's supported by a, a chromium uh, support um, component that rises through the middle. And I'm going to let you take it from here. If you can describe the process in ideating this thing. Oh, and I did see the model. There was a, a desktop model that was provided as a visual, as a visual aid to to understand what the final would look like, and it it was pristine. It looked like a piece of art unto itself. I mean, I've seen some of these; they're kind of sort of hacked together. This looked like you took the final and just reduced it down. I mean, it was fully detailed. So, Jim Cunningham, yeah, please explain uh, education and community. Well, this is a good example of how these kinds of sculptures evolve mm-hmm. and all the work that goes into it before it appears in public. Um, like most of the most of the art on campus, I think um, it began with an idea in 
Dr. Knight's head mm-hmm. uh, as he worked to beautify the campus. I certainly applaud all the work that he's done to make this a very appealing place. Mm-hmm. Um, he, had, he had seen a shape on the internet which he liked and wanted to incorporate in some sort of a sculpture, some sort of a floating ribbon concept. And through some back channels, I wound up being recruited to sort of make it happen. And so in most most cases, when you're creating a big sculpture like this, it starts with a couple of models to sort of create possible shapes and be the source of discussion. And so I created two small models, uh, which Brent and I talked about in his office on several occasions. And although we hit it off very well, it was a very pleasant experience, there was some concern about the size, the ultimate size of the sculpture. Uh, Not that I wasn't interested in making something that was very big, but there were some practical issues involved because I wanted to make the sculpture, the, the ribbon, out of aluminum and powder coat it and clear coat it so that it looked bright and red and the way he wanted it. But the powder coating people only had a kiln that would incorporate a 12-foot piece of metal. So my model was with the presumption that it would be about 12 feet tall. Okay. And, of course, Dr. Knight had his heart set on its becoming 20 feet tall. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Knight was the president, and he had the money. So, of you, as you might expect, Dr. Knight's uh, preference for a 20-foot sculpture prevailed. Oftentimes, it's, it's uh, sorry to interrupt you, it's not, it's not just the money, it's the will. Yeah. You know, it's the, it's the wherewithal and the connections to, to somehow get around and make this happen logistically, Technically, uh, yeah, yeah, it's it still astounds me. But go ahead. <laughs> well, it was it was fun, you know, two strong-willed personalities uh, working together. I said, "Gee, what about a twelve-foot sculpture?" And the next thing I know, I had an email from him with the um, someplace in Chicago that had a much bigger kiln that could do it. So it was, the clear message was it was going to be twenty feet tall, and so I redesigned it so that the ribbon came apart in seven pieces. And so each of these pieces would fit in the kiln, and it would add up to 20 feet. Actually, it's 21 point something. Um, and that limit was actually set by the ceiling at Banish Welding because their ceiling's only 22 feet tall, and we still had to work between the rafters to to make it that tall. Of course you did. Uh, so the, that was the, the, a mild tension of the, the size that got sorted out yeah. that way. And uh, a ribbon can't just float in space. It's got to have something to hold it up. And so we came up with this long pipe that mm-hmm. holds it up and a system of uh, anchoring the whole thing to the ground. And because it was so, so large and it's going to be heavy enough, I had two requirements myself. I wanted a structural engineer to uh, deal with the base in such a way that it was safe. And I wanted a certified welder to do the welding because I wasn't 
as formally trained as people that come through your program. So interesting. Um, that introduced me to a guy named Jake, who was the certified welder at Banish Welding. And uh, Jake and I have gone on to make any number of sculptures yeah. together. It's been a very pleasant kind of friendship. So, um, so based on the third model, which you've seen, I think, mm -hmm. uh, that I gave to Dr. Knight as a parting set, the second model was given to Jake. Nice. And the third model got pitched, or the first model got pitched. It wasn't very, very good. Yeah. Um, and, and so through these sorts of discussions, and we, we chose a, a model that we were happy with, then I had to translate that into Alro's CAD system. So with the help of one of their programmers, why we converted all these shapes into the computer, and then the computer can make it any size we want. Mm -hmm. And we scaled it appropriately. The laser was used to cut all the ribbon sections, which is out of a, an alloy. The, the alloy is 50-52 aluminum. It's a, an alloy of aluminum that can be bent. And so all those parts got delivered to Banish Welding, and uh, Jake and I used an ancient old slip roll bender machine that has a colorful history, came down from the Upper Peninsula in a snowstorm in the back of a truck. and uh, It so probably forth. has foot pedals and giant rollers yeah, and the whole bit, and yeah, keep your hands you clear. Pull on chains, and mm -hmm. it was... It's, Medieval, right? It's still still there, doesn't work very well, but we we cajoled it into making that ribbon. And when we scaled the ribbon up to the width you suggested, initially we forgot to scale the thickness as well. And so when we put it together, the, the ribbon kind of wobbled around too much. So we had to strengthen the uh, elbows by adding three times as much metal so that it would be sturdy and rigid uh, right. as, you, as you see it here. But it's also an example of something I learned from the Zimbabweans. Mm -hmm. If you're going to create a public piece of art, you enrich it by giving it a title. And you enrich it further by giving it a site-specific function. And um, so in this case, you know, not only because I was for 30-some years working in higher education at universities, but my wife's an ICU nurse with an LCC background, and That's Jake great. has an LCC welding background, and I have a... And I've enjoyed the jazz programs from this radio station for a long time. Outstanding. And, uh, it's, 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 so I have a very healthy respect for the important functions of LCC in our community. And so I gave it the title, Education and Community. And the way I see that working is that the silver pole, the stainless steel pole that holds the ribbon up is the education provided by LCC. And the ribbon is the community. And as community people, members of the community grow and uh, you know enhance their own lives, they interact intermittently with LCC. That's and beautiful. So That's... It comes back and forth to the stainless steel. Yeah. 
pole. And uh, so that's the education and community. That's the symbolism involved. And I, I just enjoy, as a, as a hobby, creating abstract sculpture. I just enjoy staring out the window and sipping coffee and yeah. thinking about shapes and then thinking about the symbolism and if it can be site-specific and serve a purpose that's um, sort of a placemaking purpose, so much the better. So, so much the better. Yeah. Uh, through my interactions with uh, Brent Knight, with my feelings about the community uh, college, with it, it's just been a very nice experience, and I'm happy with the way that this particular sculpture turned out. That's wonderful. One, one other tension that Brent and I had was that uh, uh, I discovered he had his heart set on the stainless steel being a mirror finish. I said, Brent, I don't do mirror finish. And he said, well, okay, we're going to put it on a semi and we're going to take it to Mount Pleasant. And that we're sounds give like it to Dr. A, Knight. That's a place that Brent polishes Knight. milk mm -hmm. trucks. Yep. And so off it went and it came back with mirror finish it is beautiful and it looks good <laughs> because the, the the just to describe this thing again briefly the the the, the pole i think is uh looks like it's four inches or three inches in diameter diameter six it, so well there you go because i'm standing back from it yeah. um and it's chromium and it reflects aspects of the ribbon in a vertical fashion that it's extremely visually engaging one of those things, one of those outcomes, I don't think that you could have predicted. It just adds another dimension to that, to the piece. And uh, there's, when you look at it, there's something familiar. You, you call it abstract, but it's, it's very relatable. The, the shape, it, it, to me, for me, everyone interprets differently, but it represents a silk scarf, right? And I included, first thing I wanted to do, we did a montage commercial. We used a red camera, high production. I wanted, a rolling picture and I have it on file below taken from below this thing with the sun beaming through it and uh, one of our very talented videographers got this and captured it through that sculpture and it just it, to me it's just jaw-dropping I mean it's just one of the best it kicks off the commercial it's like the front end and just grabs you visually yeah those are the most interesting pictures I've seen of it are straight up right through the ribbon yeah with the sky um, I remember the day they unveiled it, it was raining. Um, we meant to, I believe, there was a media blitz around this because it was part of the uh, the arts and sciences renovation, in sort of in tandem with it because it resides just outside of our arts and sciences building there in Chiawassee. And it was raining, so we couldn't do a proper unveiling as with, you know, like a big drop, the cloth drops and everything. It was raining, and the mayor came in, and very many people... Uh, were there and uh, it was quite an event even in the rain I mean it's like fire engine rut it just stands off and you can see it you can be blocks away down um, Washington you know Avenue and there it is there, that's LCC there it is you know um, wow and I, that's more than I ever realized about that particular sculpture and, and uh, thank you for sharing that is there anything more about that work now I remember we, there was concern about people climbing on it. And, and this has been like an issue with me with certain projects that I've been involved in too, is just uh, that, you know, and a little bit of anxiety surrounding it. I know our campus is heavily surveilled and we have, uh, we're very safe, very safe campus, beautiful, obviously. 
Um, did that ever come into discussion? Safety issues, wind maybe. Um, you, had, you said you had a structural engineer come in. Um, I'm sure it flexes in the wind if there's a high wind. Well, we reinforced the ribbon in such a way that it didn't move in substantial wind. Mm -hmm. um, the structural engineer redesigned the base of it so that it's... It's not going anywhere. It's not going anywhere. Well, yeah. You don't see that. It's mm -hmm. below that bottom plate. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. what's below the bottom plate is most of the weight. Mm. And it's well anchored to a cement footing. footing mm -hmm. And then that's surrounded by some polished granite, black granite. But right. um, so I think from a structural point of view, it's not going to fall over on anybody. And if you put a lot of people on it, it wouldn't budget it would really scuff up the paint job on, now to be uh, clear to our this is not a challenge this no, is no, not a no, challenge no. We, it's it's been there's always a discussion of safety with public art mm -hmm, mm -hmm. there's always yeah it it, it that the, the um, my first public piece as i that i mentioned it goes to an inner city park mm -hmm. in lansing mm -hmm. it's called community it has five abstract shapes, one black, one white, one red, one yellow, one bronze, symbolizing the ethnic groups in that. It's on your portfolio very, site. Very diverse community, mm -hmm. wonderful area. And the parks people said, it's got to be taller. The kids are going to climb on it. Mm -hmm. Make it taller, make it taller. So I made it 13 feet, 4 inches tall. It dawned on me after I had it at... 13 feet, four inches tall, that that was a delivery problem because there were bridges between where it was in my driveway and where it was headed, and the clearance was 14.2. So I needed a 10-inch truck. Wow. And uh, and we solved that problem because uh, the local contractor loaned us the uh, forklift, and we bolted it to the forklift, and when we came to the bridges, why, we just lowered it down on the ground and the... But we cited it in that location. It's called Barb Dean's Top Lot, first park named for an African-American uh, woman. And uh, we cited it so Barb Dean could see it from her living room easy chair. How cool is that? And that's, yeah, that's nobody messes with Barb Dean. I'm here to tell you that. I, I have to look this up. And, and uh, it's still there. And uh, it, I don't think kids ever got up on it. The kids and I went and repainted it a while back. But and the the, the kids' play toys have been trashed occasionally. But mm -hmm. Barb Dean kept that thing safe. How about I, that? You don't have Barb Dean, but you have the surveillance cameras and a few other yeah. things. So I, I think the public generally keeps these things good, that's, safe. That's, but you do have to make it strong enough, assuming that some somebody's going to get up on it at times. Well, there is, uh, to be set truthful, there is an ownership thing with community, and they own the artwork, and they do tend to take care of it. And the, uh, the uh, improvisational spirit of creating these things and, and developing not just developing the art, but like you said, the wherewithal to to deliver and to install and ingenuity is uh, is always remarkable too. Well, 
I got to say, well, let's wind up this discussion on this particular sculpture, sir, Jim Cunningham. Is there anything um, I've left out about uh, education and community that you want to mention before we wrap it up? Well, I think we've given the public a sense of where it came from and uh -huh. how you create these things and mm -hmm. the personal interactions and the players involved. And Right. Well, I got to tell you, I will not walk by it without thinking of this conversation from here on out. I mean, it just adds such depth and knowledge to uh, the origin of this beautiful piece of art. Sir, thank you for, uh, for joining us on Art Happens Here, and um, I'd like to talk to you further in another segment about some more of the work that you've done. Thank you. Audrey Hepburn once said, nothing is impossible. The word itself says, I'm possible. If you want to check out what I've been talking about, just visit this episode at lccconnect.org. Art Happens Here is a production of LCC Connect. Thanks for lending us your imagination. <laughs>